Amen. All right. So we're continuing talking about relationship advice. Um, and this morning we're going to talk about the most important relationship that you can have with any group of people uh, outside of your family. And that is, of course, your relationship with your church. Uh, this is your second family here. And so understand that way, the way God designed things, right? Our earthly relationships, right? First goes our relationship with God. Then it goes our relationship with our spouse. Then our immediate family, right? I'm talking about our family. Uh, and then uh, it's our church after that. And so if you want, ever want to know what you should prioritize in life, look at that list right there. Look at the way that God created things, right? God first created Adam. Uh, then he created Adam's wife. Then they had children, right? And then the church it, you know, or worship uh, as a group wasn't instituted until quite a bit later, right? Um, and so think about that order there. But outside of our family, church is our most important relationship. So any relationship that you have outside of church, right? Any group affiliation, sports team, right? I know a lot of people are rooting for the 49ers right now. 49er fans, they will, you know, they'll cheer with you, right? Uh, you, you know, sports fans, they'll cheer with you, but who's going to show up for you when you need them? It's not going to be, you know, some friend group that you have. Uh, maybe if you have some really good friends, right, they might show up for you, but talking about a group of people, right? Uh, your church is supposed to be that place where people will go through life with you, worship with you, and show up for you when you are in need and keep you on the right track, right? And so we're talking about this relationship that we all have here today. So our relationship with our church. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we dive in. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much, Lord, for uh, this body of believers here um, that have been there for me and my wife, Lord, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to be there for other people. Uh, and Lord, I, I just pray that uh, we as a church would treat each other well and treat each other the way that you want us to, Lord, and, um, and just be good representatives of you uh, in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians, about uh, really our relationship with our church, right, is kind of what we talked about through the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul really likes to hammer this idea of unity home. And so the very first thing that Paul mentions with the church is unity. Uh, that, that is to be, that is, that is above everything else, right? We need to endeavor to keep unity in our church, right? God wants to see us unified. Um, and so the first thing this morning, we need to have this attitude of unity here. Uh, again, uh, this is not saying that we are always going to agree on everything, but when we do decide something as a church, everybody should be on board with whatever the decision is. That's really what unity looks like. And so the first thing that he talks about in, in verse 1 uh, is that we need to walk worthy of our calling. And so Paul is remind, reminds the individual, uh, before he even gets into the specific church stuff, he, need, he reminds the individual that the attitude that you are to have is to emulate Christ. And 
do this out of respect for what Christ has done for you. So walk worthy of the calling which you are called. This is Ephesians 4, 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And so Paul, you know, he has the title of an apostle. He has authority there. How does he identify himself? This is the first clue as to how our attitude should be. A prisoner of the Lord. The, word, the Greek word there is doulos, uh, which means servant or bond, uh, or sorry, which means bond servant or bond slave, right? So this is someone who's literally been bought or sold themselves into slavery at that time. And so the way that we are to act in this life is, if, is it, uh, that we are slaves of the Lord, not just willing servants. God, Christ has literally bought us with his blood. And so we should have that type of humility before anything else, right? So Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, right? And he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And so you were bought with a price. Christ has bought you. Uh, we need to not be, this is going to show up later too, we need to not be walking as you know, our old selves, the old man, but we need to walk as the new man, as uh, people who are redeemed in Christ. And so the very first thing with our attitude of unity, right? Have a lower opinion of yourself and try to honor Christ in everything you do. And so when we're talking about unity in church, that's the first thing. Put yourself in check, right? Now Paul said, it talks about endeavoring to keep unity. Endeavoring to keep unity. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So with all lowliness and gentleness, right? So that, those are the first things, right? So again, put yourself in check. Have a humble mindset. When you're dealing with others in our church, have a humble mindset. And gentleness. Be gentle with one another. Uh, if you come out, you know, if there is correction needed at church, it should be done in a loving and gentle way, especially at first, right? When we first approach people with, with uh, grievances or uh, correction, right? We need to come gently first. Uh, that's one that I kind of have a, a hard time with sometimes. I'm not the most gentle person at times. I can, you know, kind of speak my mind. That's my English background. Uh, my grandma always raised me, my grandma raised me, and she was a very bold person. She's probably watching right now and going to get mad at me, but uh, <laughs> she goes, I'm not like that. That's probably what she'll say, but, you know, she, she's told me that that's how English people are. Uh, is they, they just speak their mind, and they're bold. Well, God calls us to be gentle with one another, so sometimes that boldness um, needs to be, again, put in check. Then, with long-suffering, this word long-suffering uh, is means patience, right? We have to have patience with one another. Um, the Bible talks about God being long-suffering towards us, right? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to uh, eternal life, right? I'm butchering that scripture a little bit, but um, God has patience towards us, right? Uh, it, has, it, it literally means to suffer long. 
Well, that's, that's what long-suffering means. And so, really, we should be willing to go the distance with people, give people the benefit of the doubt for as long as we can, all right? So, have patience towards one another. Also, bearing with one another in love, right? Have you ever heard that term, you know, when people are talking to you? Well, bear with me here, and then they say something usually that you don't like, right? Uh, that's, that, that's what that's talking about here, is, is we need to bear with one another. Again, it's kind of giving uh, the benefit of the doubt, saying, okay, I'm willing to hear you out, right? Bear with one another in love. And then uh, the, the important part here where Paul sums uh, up uh, what he's saying is in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit there, but endeavoring to keep unity. So we have to try, uh, this, this word endeavor, it means more than just try, but in simple words, uh, it's trying or attempting to keep unity in our church. That's, you know, that's, we should value unity high enough that our minor differences uh, should be put aside. That, that's the unity that it's talking about here. And so with all of those things, he sums that up with endeavoring to keep unity. Then Paul starts to list reasons why we should have unity. Um, again, if Paul literally telling you to humble yourself wasn't enough, he gives you the reasons why you should be unified together, and which should humble you in these statements. So the reasons for unity... In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, any minor differences, right? Paul says there's one of each of these things, right? One body and one spirit. So we are one church. There's uh, the Holy Spirit working in our church. That's it. So there's one difference that might, you might have that's put aside there. Um, you know, we, we should not be treating each other as different people. Or not different. We are different people, but different groups, right? Um, and then he says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, right? So that's talking about salvation there. You're called in one hope of your calling, right? And so uh, there's not a different salvation for someone. Remember, Paul is writing to people who were very divided here, right? Between Jews and Gentiles. And so he's saying, you know, well, you're, you're all called into one salvation there. There's not a different salvation for Gentiles than there is for Jews, right? It's one one Lord, right? Pretty simple there. One faith. And so the faith that it's talking about here is not talking about your personal faith that you have in Jesus. It's talking about the faith, right? Uh, this is, when it says one faith here, it's talking about our doctrinal beliefs, right? So these are the things that are most assuredly believed among us, right? So one faith, one baptism, right? There's not a bunch of different ways to be baptized or anything like that. One baptism. One God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and in you all. So if you think you are above someone else, right? Just remember, uh, one God, one Father above all, right? Through all and in you all. So we're all equals before God. So Paul has talked, so remember, this is all about unity here. Then he shifts focus, right? Uh, and starts to talk about, okay, well, how are we to conduct ourselves in church? Uh, and he's really, this next section is really the purpose of meeting. And so remember, we meeting here in person, uh, it has meaning. Uh, that This is the way God designed for us to worship Him, uh, is by coming together and worshiping corporately, right? And so uh, they, if you're sitting at home watching this, thank you for watching, but please come to church. <laughs> uh, that's, that's an important way that we are to worship. And if you're too far away to meet here, uh, find a church in your area, please. But this is the way God designed for us to worship Him, is together in person. And there's reasons for this that I will get into. So the first part of this uh, section here uh, talks about spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail right now on spiritual gifts, but uh, if you want to hear more about that, come tonight, because I'm going to do a whole uh, message tonight or a whole lesson tonight on spiritual gifts. It's a very important topic, uh, but understand uh, that spiritual gifts, uh, the miraculous spiritual manifestation gifts, those have ceased, okay? So when we talk about spiritual gifts here, uh, again, come tonight and I'll explain this. Uh, the miraculous spiritual manifestation gifts, that's a mouthful, but those have all ceased. So the speaking in tongues and the prophecy and all of those, those are done. Uh, those were done when the Bible was completed, okay? Um, but now getting into Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 11, uh, what, he, what Paul is trying to get across here is everybody has a place in church. Everybody has their specific role uh, in church. And so it's starting off here. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, <coughs> excuse me. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, uh, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Uh, Paul has kind of got a side note here about Christ's ascension. So, uh, and then it says, he who de descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And so that's a, a topic for another time. It's Paul's side note there. But because the prophecy of Christ giving these gifts, right? He says, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, right? And so the apostles and prophets, one there, those are among the gifts that have ceased, uh, specifically apostles, um, there was very specific requirements to be an apostle. Uh, one of them was you had to be uh, around Christ 
during his personal ministry. So you're directly chosen by Jesus Christ. So that's uh, the apostleship part of that. So um, I don't know anyone alive today that was alive 2,000 years ago. So there's no apostles today. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, prophets, right? The, again, a gift that has ceased. The purpose of prophecy was to complete scripture. But there are still ministry gifts today. And again, we will go into more of these tonight. Uh, we'll talk about them. But uh, the ones that are listed here are offices specifically. Uh, it says evangelists and some pastors and teachers, right? Find your place in a church. Some people are going to be the ones that are going out and spreading the word. And some people are going to be the ones teaching Sunday school classes and things like that. Some people are going to be ones running the sound booth, right? Uh, find your place in a church. There's uh, the office of a pastor, right? That's an important one. Uh, pastor is both office and spiritual gift there. Uh, that is a spiritual gift that continues. And so not all spiritual gifts are done away. That's something that we have to understand. It's the miraculous, again, the miraculous spiritual manifestation gifts that have been done away. Um, but this is very important here. This is one of the reasons why it's so important to come and meet in person. We are all to be, th this isn't just about coming and hearing some singing and hearing a message, right? We come here to serve and worship God. Uh, and we're going to get into this in the next part of this passage. But it's very important that we come here and meet in person because we need people to fill these roles. We need people to step up and fill these roles. What is the purpose of these roles? It says in the very next verse, it's that this is for the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of the saints. So I want to say really quick that a lot of people think, well, if I invite someone to church, right, uh, that's me doing evangelism. Um, it's please do invite people to church, but understand that the purpose of coming to church is not so that people get saved here. Now, granted, I would love, I, I love it when someone accepts the Lord here in church. Please do invite people, and I hope they get saved here. But understand that that is not the purpose of why we meet. These next verses lay out that the reason why we come is for believers to come together and be equipped uh, and edified. That way we may go out and share the gospel. So that is the purpose of meeting. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the reason why we come here is to be edified uh, and equipped for the ministry, right? So that we all can grow in our faith and become stronger. That's why we come here. Uh, it's a very... Sad thing, and well, actually, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here. Let me, um, th this, these next verses, really, it talks about uh, growing up, right? I, that's my, the title slide for the next part. Grow up, right? That's what Paul's essentially saying here to the Ephesians. But understand that we really do need to grow in our faith. We cannot be 
stagnant. We must be moving forward. Um, when I was doing uh, science, right, in, in college, um, there's a concept in thermodynamics, right? Uh, it's called entropy, right? Um, the, basic, the basic concept of entropy is if you don't put energy into something, it doesn't just stay the same, uh, it decays, right? It falls apart. Uh, that's, that's the gist of it, right? Uh, so the law of entropy, right? So what does that mean for us, right? Well, if we think that we can just come here and be stagnant and do the same thing that we always did, you are not staying the same. You will gradually get further and further away from Christ. You have to grow. You have to put energy in, right? It, con it takes constant energy in following Christ to grow or even just stay where you are. You still have to put energy. I was talking to someone, and uh, they, we were talking about going to church, right? Uh, how, how important going to church is, right? And um, we eventually started talking about how, you know, this person said that uh, when they stop going to church one Sunday, and I've experienced this too, when you stop going to church one Sunday, how easy is it to not go to church again the next Sunday and to continue on that path? I've heard it from so many people, and again, I've experienced it in my own life too. Uh, once you stop, it's, it becomes easier and easier to stop more, right? To get further away. We need to push ourselves forward and to grow. So grow up. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 15 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning and uh, craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the first thing he says there, that we would no longer be children, right? We've taught, uh, you may have heard that, uh, you know, people talk about the milk of the word versus the meat of the word, right? When someone who is newly saved, they need that milk, right? That, those are the easy concepts to understand, right? Uh, but you are supposed to grow past just the basics uh, of our faith, right? You're supposed to grow past those things. You're supposed to learn more and more. That's what Paul is talking about, that we should no longer be children, right? We, we should move past the, the, the easy things and be learning some of that meat and that we really have to chew on sometimes. And he also but he's talking about, though, that this, these new believers, these children, right, uh, they are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So they're not really firm yet in their faith. They're newly saved, but, and so when someone comes along and starts telling them something different, they kind of just go, oh, yeah, well, that sounds nice, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, we, we want it to be nice to everyone, so, uh, yeah, that sounds right, right? I'm kind of getting at something, getting a little bit political here, but <laughs> not, right? We, we hear about this in, you know, a lot of the big churches, right, uh, that, um, they, they just want to preach the easy things all the time. And I looked at a doctrinal statement of a church in Visalia, and um, it said, first and foremost, we are a welcome, welcoming group of people or something like that, or an inclusive group of people, 
right? Didn't say first and foremost we are children of God. Like, didn't say first and foremost we are believers or followers of Christ. So first and foremost, we are an inclusive group of people. Uh, I'm sorry, that's being like a child and being tossed around uh, with every wind of doctrine, right? Uh, there are certain things that we should not be inclusive of. Uh, we should stay, take a stand against those things, uh, things that are sinful. Now, you still love the people, but we should take a stand against the sinful things that people do. Then he says... But So you're not supposed to be like this child, but what you are supposed to do is speak truth to one another uh, with a caveat, in love. So it's not enough just to speak truth to someone, not enough just to tell someone the right thing. You need to do it in love. That's the part that uh, so many leave out sometimes, right? Including me. Uh, again, I'm, I'm talking to myself here too. Uh, sometimes we just want to immediately... You know, hey, give them a spanking and, you know, go on, right? Um, we need to do things in love. I was just talking to Brother Robert earlier, and uh, I told him the saying that I heard. You know, uh, you can shear a sheep all you want, right? You can shave it all you want, uh, but you can only skin a sheep once. And so uh, think about that, right? Uh, you can shear a sheep all you want, but you can only skin a sheep once. And so that, what that's saying is you can give correction. But as soon as you go too hard on correction, right, if you skin the sheep, so to speak, they will, that's a person that will just leave and they'll never come back, right? And so we need to be loving with uh, the truth that we speak to people. <clears throat> then he moves on. Again, the reason why we need to come together and meet as a church is, the work, is for working together for the growth, not just of ourselves, right? We are to grow, but also for the growth of the body. And so it takes every one of us here, every person working in their role that they have found for a church to grow. And that concept of entropy, that applies not just to you, but it applies to a church body as well. If a church isn't growing, it's dying. That's a simple fact, right? People get older and they literally do die. I mean, that's a sad thing, but it happens, you know? We need to grow. Otherwise, a church will just fizzle away. Starting at verse 16, and not just talking about growing numerically, by the way, but growing spiritually as a church, growing closer together, right? Verse 16 says, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, right? So every person doing their part helps us be more knit together according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So you come here to be edified, but part of that edifying is you working in church. See, you don't just come to hear and listen to a message. Part of the reason why we are here is to serve God, and that is what helps us grow. Now, how are we to conduct ourselves in church? We talked about, you know, the, the desire here and what we're here to do, and, but 
how are we supposed to conduct ourselves with each other? How are we supposed to act towards one another? Well, first of all, we need to put off the conduct of the old man, right? Uh, we need to let our past be the past and act like a new person, right? Uh, every person who's saved is a new creature in Christ, right? And so we need to act like it, right? If you are saved and you're still acting like the old man, um, I'm sorry, I, I would question that a little bit, and you should too. Uh, so in talking about putting off our old conduct, was, how does this apply to church? Well, we need to not bring worldliness to church, right? Don't bring whatever you were doing out there in here. It's not good for anybody here, including yourself. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated <clears throat> from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work in all uncleanliness with greediness, right? And so uh, Paul is using the Gentile walk is really an example of the world. So, you know, remember this, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Um, Gentiles who are saved need to no longer walk as the Gentiles do, right? In their worldly ways. So when you're saved, you need to change your life. You know, that's what repent means. It means to turn around, right? It's not just saying, I'm sorry. It means I'm ready to make a change in my life. The power of the Holy Spirit of Christ should change you, should make you want to walk differently. Remember, Paul starts this off by walk worthy of the calling which you are called, right? So no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says that uh, they walk in the futility of their mind. So according to their own thoughts, right? It's uh, the, really what he's saying is the uselessness of their own mind, right? Uh, that's futility there. It's not going to do any good. Then he says, un having their understanding darkened. So they're really, and uh, they're alienated from God, right? And so they have their understanding darkened. Basically, what he says here is that they're ignorant, right? They don't know or understand the ways of God. But if you're saved, you do, right? So you have a higher standard here. He says, because of the blindness of their heart. And so really, they, they, they're closed off to it. Uh, they can't understand. Until you are saved, you cannot understand godly things. Then he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdliness to work all, all uncleanliness and greediness, or with greediness. So basically, they're doing every raunchy, bad thing in their life. They're just give, completely giving them, it says giving themselves over to it. It's pretty easy to see 
uh, in the world today this happening, right? Now, we use the world today as an example a lot because that's what we can see, right? Understand that a lot of these things have been going on for thousands of years, right? Um, but, you know, when you see these pride parades and stuff like that, uh, they're not only doing bad things behind closed doors anymore. Uh, they, again, it's like what they say it is. It's pride. They are doing those lewd things in open, and it's prideful. And they've given themselves over to it. So that is no longer... And you see this with, with people when they... Um, talk about who they are, right? If they introduce themselves, they say, I, I'm so-and-so and I identify as blah, 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 right? That's giving yourself over to that. It becomes not just what you're doing, but who you are. As believers, we should identify as believers, right? And be walking accordingly. This brings me to the next point. We need to conduct ourselves as one who has been redeemed. So again, don't do what you did in the past. Instead, do this, what it says here. Conduct yourself as a child of Christ. Right? Conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus. Literally, that's what Christian means, is one who follows Christ. And so we are trying to be as like Christ as we possibly can in our lives. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So put off the old man. And it says, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So instead of giving yourself over to lewdness and worldly ways, right? Put off the old man, put off whatever you were doing in the past and put on the new man, which was created according to God. So again, if you're a believer, act like it. That's basically what Paul is saying. And this especially falls into our conduct at church. Uh, Again, don't bring worldly things into church. Don't bring that old man into church. We need, you know, we, we can have all kinds of bickering and things like that. Understand that that is not from God. That's not the Holy Spirit working in church, right? The Holy Spirit wants us to work in an uh, attitude of unity, right? So, there's our conduct, right? Now, what our conduct should look like. Specific examples of this. So Paul is really hammering this home. He, you know, he, he talked about it in general, right? Uh, what, how we should act towards one another. Now he's going to give specific examples of what our conduct should and shouldn't look like. So first of all, lying, right? 
The first thing he lists here is lying. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Don't lie to each other. That's a pretty simple statement there. Uh, it's almost one of those things that shouldn't have to be said, but obviously it does. Because it's one of the simplest things, yet how often do we do that every day? I mean, that's the main sin that we all, that we all do, right? Even, oh, it's just a little white lie, right? No, we're not supposed to do that, right? We're not supposed to lie. It's better to say, I, I'm sorry, you know, if someone asks you uh, about something that you really shouldn't be talking about, just say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you about that. Don't say, I don't know, right? Just say, I'm sorry, that's between so-and-so. We need to not lie to one another. Because, again, this is supposed to be like your second family here. Uh, if we have a, a family built on dishonesty, uh, it's not a family at all, is it? The next thing here. And men, I'm talking to you because that's mostly geared at men here, this one. Wrath. Now, I've heard stories uh, about, you know, church congregations where, you know, they, they couldn't agree on something at a business meeting. They took, you know, they took it out in the parking lot and dealt with it, right? That is not the conduct that we are supposed to have at church. But you know what? It happens. And again, uh, man, I'm talking to you. Uh, although, ladies, it can happen too. But it, it comes out differently with ladies, right? Um, Ephesians 4, uh, 26 through 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Let, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So he says there, be angry and do not sin. So is anger a sin in and of itself? Not really. But when you let that go to an extreme, when it turns into wrath, that is sinning. So if you're at the point where you're in a yelling match with a, a brother or sister, that's, that you better repent right? You need, you need to pray about that. Also, uh, I, I like this next part of this. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So whatever it is, deal with it and move past it. Don't, you know, don't leave each other, right, while there's still this animosity going on. And pretty soon here, I'm going to talk about the Lord, you know, not today, but uh, probably on a Wednesday night or Sunday night, I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And um, when there's divisions in church, you're not supposed to take Lord's Supper. That's you know that's an act that that's an act that we do together as a group, right? Uh, leaving each other with disputes going on, uh, that's a serious thing, and you know we're not supposed to do that. Uh, Paul, uh, verse 27 here really goes with verse 26, it says, nor give place to the devil. So this idea of wrath and not letting the sun, or, sorry, not letting the sun go down on your wrath, right? What happens when you leave someone and you, you just had a big blow up and it doesn't get resolved? Does it get better while you're separated from them? Most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time you dwell on it and it gets worse, right? That's what it's talking about here with giving place to the devil. When we are angry, so angry at each other that it turns to wrath. That is literally letting the devil into our church. That's, you know, 
we have enough problems with the devil. We don't need to invite him in, right? So think about that next time you're angry at someone. Or not just angry, but wrathful towards someone. Then stealing. Paul specifically mentions stealing here. There's some good wisdom in this verse too. It says in Ephesians 4, 28, let him who stole steal no longer. Again, if someone was a thief before they're saved, again, don't continue that conduct. It says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. That is such a big difference there. Think about that as someone, as a person, right? Someone who stole, he's saying, don't do that anymore. Instead, work, labor for what you need, but also so that you can give to others who have need. So instead of just taking things for yourself, work for yourself and so that you can give to others that need, right? That's such a big change there that... uh, uh, and all of these, right? Paul gives what you're not supposed to do and then what you should do right after that. It's good to work. You know, I, I, just a side note here. It, you know, if you, read, if you read the Bible, especially Genesis, right? You find that God created work before the fall. It's good for man to work. You know, so we, we, when we sit around and don't do anything right? That's bad, right? That, that's the, that, you know, the, or not the Bible, the saying, right? The, the idle hands are the devil's playground, right? Usually when people are sitting around doing nothing, uh, that's when people get up to no good, right? But also, we have to understand that uh, just sitting around and um, getting money from the government, so to speak, right? Or that's not a good thing. You know, usually a lot of times, especially men, right, get depressed when they're not working. Work is a good thing. Uh, you know, you think about uh, older men, right, when they retire, a lot of them die soon after that because they, especially the ones that have worked for so long, once you stop working, it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm at rest, and, and then you go. Work is a good thing. People need to stay active. The next thing here Paul talks about is corrupt speech. Corrupt speech. So this is literally evil speaking towards one another. Paul's going to mention this again at the end here. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, or sorry, what, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So uh, I was talking mostly about wrath with the men. Uh, usually anger comes for women comes out this way. Did you hear about so-and-so, right? That, that's, that's a lot of times, you know, what, I'm not saying that men don't do this or women don't get wrathful, right? Uh, but you know, this is primary problem, right? This is a ter- this is a thing that can destroy a church even more so than wrath. If someone gets a, in a fight out in the parking lot, 
yeah, that's a terrible event, but usually, you know, you can move past it. But when people are talking behind each other's backs uh, and, you know, just really saying evil things about one another, saying, oh, yeah, did you hear what they did or what did you hear about this or that? Uh, that can sow seeds that later destroy a church. It's, it's a really terrible thing. But instead, what we're supposed to be doing, right, speak what it, but what is good for necessary edification. And so edify one another with our speech that it may impart grace to the hearers. So again, instead of saying bad things about one another, we should be saying things that help each other grow uh, and impart grace to one another. Paul kind of sums these previous statements up with this next one in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So all of these previous things Paul lists off, these are things that literally anger the Holy Spirit. So we say the Holy Spirit's working in our church, right? And that's such a beautiful thing, right? But if we're doing things in our church, right, that are not good, understand that that grieves the Holy Spirit. We need to not be doing those things. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's literally, he's, that's in reference to all of those previous things that he talks about. So all of the uh, bad things that we do to one another, especially here at church, all right, or as a body, uh, that grieves God. We need to think about that the next time we think about doing something kind of mean or nasty towards one another. So Paul ends this, uh, ends chapter 4, with really just kind of a, a sum of everything that he said previously. But here, here's what it can boil down to with, with these things. Replace evil things with godly things. It's a pretty easy concept to understand, right? Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. <clears throat> and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving to one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So that's such an awesome thing. So you're supposed to put all of those things away from us, right? And we're supposed to treat each other as God in Christ forgave us, right? So be tenderhearted towards one another. Forgive each other, right? Think about that as Christ forgave us. Remember we talked about God was long suffer God's long-suffering towards us, right? God's patient. God gave His Son to die for us. We need to think about that and the attitude that we're supposed to have is supposed to match Christ when we're dealing with one another. How many times have you wronged God? Right? We, I, don't show your hands here or don't give a number. You probably can't think of a number, right? It's probably countless how many times you have wronged God. We've all done it. And so when we think about people that have wronged us, 
Um, we're supposed to have the attitude that God has towards us, right? And so think about that. And so with our conduct as far as church goes, we need to have that forgiving, tender-hearted mindset towards our brethren, right? With really uh, anything. Uh, endeavor to keep unity in our church. Such an important thing. And when we talk about, you know, when you think about church discipline, right? Uh, church discipline is a necessary part. But understand that it's not for the church that you're doing the discipline. It is for the person being disciplined that they would wake up and be drawn back to God, right? That's the whole point of it. It's to be done in love, right? We should be brokenhearted when we have to discipline someone. That's the reality of things. And so we really, when we come here, we should be loving on one another. We should be helping each other grow. And we need to step up and serve in our church. So I'm going to sum this chapter up today. This, these are my words, not Paul's. But we are here, right, not to just come and sit in a pew and take up space on Sunday morning. We're here to honor God. And everything that we do here should be for that. So whether it's service or our conduct towards one another or evangelism or something or even sitting and learning, right? We are doing it to honor God. That's our relationship with our church. I'll go ahead and invite the pianist and song leader up. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, uh, there wasn't a lot in this message that uh, totally applies to you. But understand that being part of a church is, is an amazing thing. But before that, you have to have a relationship with Christ, right? Before you can have a relationship with the church, you have to have a relationship with Christ, right? You need to be saved. Uh, there are, the things of God are not understandable at a deep level to someone who is not saved. So if you want to understand these things more fully, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, be saved from hell, right? That's a very real place, I promise you. Um, you a friend and I were talking one time. He was a Marine, and uh, he was an atheist, and um, another Marine was there, and uh, we were talking, and the atheist Marine, I, this is a real situation. This isn't a joke. Uh, the atheist guy said, uh, well, I can't go somewhere I don't believe in. Um, and my other friend who was a Marine said, I never believed in Afghanistan until I got sent there. So you, hell is a very real place. Just because you think you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not there, right? You, you will wake up one day in hell, right? Or not wake up necessarily, but when you die and you're not saved, you will find out that that is a very real place. I pray that you don't uh, go there. And in order to not go there, in order to go to heaven, the, the best, uh, better than you can possibly imagine, in order to go there, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand that heaven is secondary to your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, he is a wonderful Savior. And so in order to know Him this morning, in order to have a relationship with Him, you need to repent of your sins. It means turn away, right? We talked about that. And you need to turn towards Jesus and believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. Repent and believe. Pray to God, and if those two things are part of your prayer, you will be saved. Do that this morning.